6 a.m. on the West Coast, 9 a.m. on the East Coast of America, 2 p.m. in London, 7.30 in Mumbai, India. In Kyoto, Japan, it is 11 o'clock at night. And here in Malaysia, it's still 1984. I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. I am wearing my rather cool... Is this orange? That looks orange on camera. It's kind of orange shirt tonight. Uh, hello, Facebook Live, YouTube Live. Twitch.tv live and rumble.com. Hey, Rumble folks, nice to see you along. And also a welcome into all of our podcast listeners across the planet. We've got the folks in the US, Malaysia, India. For some reason, we are very popular in India. And welcome. Is it Varnikum? I think. I hope I haven't offended anybody. But anyway, uh, our podcast is available everywhere you find your podcast, wherever your favorite podcasts are, whether you're listening to Joe Rogan or Dan Bongini, Gino or uh, whoever it might be. Uh, you can also add Jay Sheldon to the list. Just look me up, do a search, either Jay Sheldon or I'm not wearing pants. You'll find that logo. That's us. Click the subscribe button and download our show. We're available three days a week. If you want to, if you're listening to the podcast and you want to watch the video version, because a lot of what we do is visual, we share a lot of weird visual stuff here, not the least of which is this guy, but uh, you can go to any one of our four outlets and you can also now go to locals.com. Yes, we've been on locals for a while, but we haven't really refreshed it or updated it, but we did now. And we are live, so you'll see at some point down here the address, the URL for our Locals channel. It's Locals.com. Just search Jay Sheldon or Jay Sheldon No Pants, and you'll find us. Join our community. We would love to have you over there. At the moment, all of our stuff is public. You don't have to be subscribed and pay a little money in order to access our stuff. Down the road, we will put some exclusive subscriber-only content on there. If you'd like to help out the show, you can also do that anytime at patreon.com slash Sheldon. All right, enough begging and borrowing and telling you to subscribe and join the show and all that crap. Let's get on with the important stuff. Miko update. <laughs> and there's nothing more important than a Miko update. The little girl is doing fantastically well. Oh my goodness, hang on a second. Uh, wow, suddenly we got a blast in the face of brightness here. Where did that come from? All right, uh, anyway, yeah, Miko is doing really well. She is eating me out of house and home. I have no idea why, but she is absolutely ravenous lately. She has been uh, eating all of her... We, we feed her two meals a day, basically. Uh, one about mid-morning. She likes to wait to eat until we have our lunch, and then she wants to join us for lunch. Actually, she's hoping to get some of our lunch. So. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, she's, uh, she has been eating like crazy, which... Oh, thank you for sharing the screen, Jay. Uh, she's been eating us out of house and home, 
and uh, she is adorable as always. Here is a quick update. This is a picture I took because the lighting coming down the stairs was just perfect uh, earlier. What, yesterday? Day before? Yeah, yesterday. Uh, so there's the little girl. And she is uh, as beautiful as ever. And we love her dearly. So Mika's doing very well, eating me out of house and home. And uh, she was hanging around here in the studio earlier, but... Apparently, she's left because she knew I was going live. She never wants to come on camera. Uh, but there you go. There's your update for uh, for Miko. Uh, doing great. Um, all right. We'll get right into it. Also coming up, by the way, of course, at the end of the show, after we get through the weird stuff we have to share, uh, we will be doing another piece of the chapter in A Christmas Carol by Dickens. And uh, we will have that for you coming up about 20 minutes from now or so, maybe a little longer. Um, all right. Our headline tonight was The Children of Hitler. Yes, it's kind of clickbaity, but on the other hand, it's not really clickbaity. Hitler's master race of children exist, and some exist to this day. And you won't believe who one of them is. This is an article that I found, and the link is in the show notes if you want to read the whole article. It's from Ranker.com. Now, this is a very clickbaity kind of site. There's tons of ads. I can't get rid of Like, See this silly one over here? This one won't go away. Anyway, forget the ads. The article is fascinating. The children of Hitler's master race experiment are still alive. And here's what some of them look like. Nazi Germany just didn't seek to eradicate those who didn't meet the criteria of their ideal race. They also fought to create a super genetic line through selective breeding in the ultra-secret, undeniably twisted Lebensbon program. It was akin to Joseph Mengele's concentration camp experiments, and we all know how horrible those were, to the extent that it involved Nazi science and a total lack of bioethics. The, create, uh, the program was created by the SS, State-supported, registered associations sparked by the shrinking birth rate in Nazi Germany. Uh, Lebensbaum mothers faced a moral predicament. While many already were fervent followers of Hitler, for some it was a matter of survival in war-torn Nazi-occupied Europe. The Lebensbaum program attempted to breed racial purity through a very specific set of phenotypic criteria, the children of Lebensbaum were often kidnapped from their Nordic and Eastern European families, forced to erase their past identities as, and reborn as Hitler Youth. For many, their lives were complete lies, and they only discovered their origins in adulthood, if at all. And uh, the Lebensborn uh, secret SS-initiated program was, the idea was to create a master race um, carried out by the SS. 
they encouraged genetically pure women, that's their words, uh, blonde-haired, blue-eyed women with the right measurements to breed with SS officers. It was literally a program of selective breeding to create a master race of humans. They set up clinics all across Europe to get more people into the Lebensborn program. The Nazis set up homes, sometimes called clinics, all across uh, Europe. And at its height, there were 10 facilities in Germany alone, 26 homes across eight countries. And here's one of the strangest parts. Annie Fried Lingstad. You probably don't know who she is, but you know who she's a part of. ABBA. She is probably the most famous Lebensborn child. She was shunned in Norway because of her origins, sadly. I mean, she had no part in, in it. Um, she didn't choose to be born that way, but indeed she was. And in uh, ABBA's Annie Fried Lingstad, uh, from the group ABBA, we all know ABBA, I, whether you're born in 10 years ago or 50 years ago, you know ABBA. Uh, she was indeed um, one of the Lebensborn babies. That is absolutely incredible. The most famous Swedish pop band ABBA's uh, Annie Fritz Lingstad. For her part, Lingstad and other children like her, the products of unions between Norwegian moms and German SS fathers, were forced out of their native countries as traitors, along with their mothers. That is absolutely incredible. When I, when I saw that, I thought, oh man. I got to share this. Anyway, I'm not going to read the whole article. Thanks and tip of the hat to ranker.com. Link is in the show notes below, whether you're listening on the podcast or watching on the live stream or watching the video later on down the road. You can click in, check out the article at ranker.com. It's fascinating to read the whole article. And it's scary also. Damn scary. But uh, it's there. And some of those kids still exist today. Wow. All right. For our Indian listeners, and I know we have tons of folks who listen to the podcast, whether it's at uh, GeoSavan or uh, just on Spotify or whatever, uh, we've got a great audience over in India. And this story was in the Malay Mail. Uh, you can find the link in our show notes again tonight. But this, <laughs> there's not much of an uh, of a visual that goes along with this. So just bear me while I bear along with me while I read the article from the Malay Mail. An Indian man was declared dead after a road accident, shocked his relatives when they found him still breathing, despite spending a night in the freezer of a hospital morgue. Yeah. Shikesh Kumar was rushed to a clinic in critical condition after he was involved in a motorbike accident, hit by a, mo oh, hit by a motorbike in Moradabad, east of the capital of New Delhi. He was transported to a private medical facility 
where he was declared dead on arrival by a doctor. They then took him and transported him to the government hospital for a post-mortem on Friday. Well, thank goodness he didn't get one, because he wasn't dead. The doctor said, oh man, you had one job. <laughs> the doctor said police were informed and the body was placed in the morgue freezer. Six hours later, his family arrives and they open up the freezer drawer and he says, hey guys, how you doing? <laughs> oh man. Man found alive after a night in the morgue freezer. That is an amazing story. Anyway, you will find the link in our show notes tonight. So just check that out if you want to if you want to read it yourself. <laughs> when you're dead, you're d well, maybe not. <laughs> hey, would you like some radiation with your tomatoes? How about some irradiated radishes? <laughs> the idea is a little scary, but apparently it's quite common. Uh, found this article in Chili Sauce. You can check it out. Links in the show notes. A tip of the hat to folks at uh, Chili Sauce. Um, yeah, chilisauce.my is the URL. Just look up this article. It's amazing. You can read the whole thing. I am not going to read the whole article, but encourage you to check out chilisauce.my. This building in Selangor, which is the state that I live in, has been using radiation to make mutant plants since 1995. Yeah. Weird. Look at this place. There's an over, I don't know if this is a drone shot or whatever, but looks like it. But this is the building and house, it looks like a spaceship. This looks like one of those weird experimental, well, I guess it is experimental. But here's what it looks like inside. You can see the... Uh, the little, I don't know, there's a radiation warning symbol over here on this container. And God knows what this thing is. This looks like that bell, speaking of the Nazis earlier in the show, this looks like that, that Nazi bell experiment. Anyway, here in Malaysia, we are no stranger to unusual combinations, says the article. There is Deepa Raya, which is Deepavali and Hari Raya. There's Maggie, or basically anything with cheese. And then, nuclear research and farming. Yeah. Uh, they stumbled into a news article from 2014 reporting that Malaysia's nuclear agency, Nuclear Malaysia, won an international award for plant breeding. Now, what does a nuclear agency have to do with plants? Apparently, a lot. They've been using nuclear radiation, specifically gamma rays, to make mutant plants, in inverted commas. And it's not just a strange hobby. We're essentially making vegetables with superpowers. <laughs> Man. Now, just to be clear, it is not purely a Malaysian thing. In fact, I looked this up, and there's a lot of articles about using gamma radiation to uh, make plants 
mutate into different forms and things. Uh, it's not new. After World War II, people thought there must be a better way to use this new atomic energy than just blowing things up. And one of the ideas came up was that exposing plants to radiation uh, would come up with super-powered versions of the plants. And that's why uh, radiation uh, used bananas as an example. For centuries, people have selective bred bananas to come up with better variety. You know, there's a blue banana. It's very weird, but it's, it's true. Anyway, they cross a banana plant that makes big fruits with one that makes sweet fruits because the big ones, plantains, are, are, have no sweetness at all. They're just chopped up and fried mostly as a vegetable. But anyway, there's a chance you're going to wind up with a banana that makes big sweet fruits. Radiation breeding is kind of the same thing. Instead of waiting for the perfect banana parents to show up, you expose bananas to radiation, and the results are fairly random. It's kind of like re-rolling the stats on the banana and hoping the banana babies come out with good abilities. I love the way Chili Sauce writes their articles. Uh, to resistant as plant disease, yellower fruit, tastier fruit, to name just a few. Anyway, very cool idea, very cool place. I've never seen this before, nor have I, have I ever heard of it before. But uh, indeed, apparently in Malaysia, we are using gamma radiation to screw with plants. Let's just, I'm sure there must be some heavy-duty safety protocols. I don't know where in Selangor this is, and I don't want to know where it is. But this is really cool. Anyway, the link's in the show notes. Check it out. Click the link and read the whole article over on chilisauce.my. That's uh, weird, but cool. All right, a uh, couple more, and then we're going to get on with our uh, book here tonight, uh, Christmas Carol. <laughs> this is just a quick one. Uh, Jan, thank you for sharing this. <laughs> it's just a visual. Again, I'm sorry. If you're listening on the podcast, go to Rumble or Twitch.tv or Locals.com, uh, Facebook, Twitter, wherever, and you can find me. You'll see this visual. It's just somebody, some truck driver who has a creative bone in his body. See, we all think of truck drivers as being these redneck, toothless, ignorant, dumbasses who just drive the trucks and talk on the CB, 10-4, good buddy. Remember CB radio? Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, so that's what we think of truck drivers. Trust me. I got a lot of friends in the truck driving business, and they are anything but that. Right, Dave? Right. All right. So anyway, a very creative truck driver who was hauling a load of I don't know what, but the box looked good enough that he did this. Check this out. <laughs> if you're listening on the podcast, there's a link in the show notes if you want to see the picture. It's from livetrucking.com. And um, as somebody in the comments said, someone watched too many Looney Tunes cartoons. They had this big wooden crate strapped to the back of their truck. And on the side, they wrote, Acme, caution, live Tasmanian devil. <laughs> now, it would have been nice if they'd put a speaker in the box going, 
But, you know, I don't do the Tasmanian devil very well. Anyway, time was when each twist in the strap was a $150 fine. Wow, look at that. Oh, I see. So you're not supposed to... Oh, well, that would make sense. You're not supposed to have any twists in there. Anyway, good to see the Acme company is uh, is still in business. That was great. Livetrucking.com. If you want to check out the picture, just check out the link in our show notes and you can... Uh, you can see that. All right. Before we get on with our with our book tonight, I did want to share with you uh, one related article, and it is such a cool thing. This is from a website called appearinglocally.com, and it's related to our book, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. I mentioned in our last stream on Saturday night that my dear friend and former colleague Dick Trehune stars in a one-man show of A Christmas Carol. And this is a review from Nebraska. Now, I can almost promise you 99.99999% I don't have a single listener or viewer in Nebraska. If I do... Please let me know, whether you're listening on the podcast or watching the video live or later, send me an email. Nopants at jsheldon.com is our email address. I'm sure I have no Nebraska listeners or viewers, but that's okay. Maybe you live close to where this is. Anyway, there's no place like Nebraska. This is called Appearing Locally, and here is my dear friend Dick Trehune in the role of, well, not just Ebenezer Scrooge, it is a one-man show. So he plays all the characters. And A Christmas Carol for Everyone. This is written by Jamie Billens. And uh, his one-man show is going on right now at uh, the Lincoln Community Playhouse in Lincoln, Nebraska, I assume. And I'm not going to read this whole review. I believe the link's in the show notes. But if you want, go to appearinglocally.com and check out this uh, review of the show. Um, it is spectacular. This reviewer is beside himself in words of praise for the production, for Dick's performance, and it is amazing. Again, uh, you can catch A Christmas Carol November 19th through the 21st, so you got one more day. Uh, Friday, Saturday, 7.30, Sundays at 2, and you can get tickets online. Wow. Uh, so that article by Jamie Bullens, and you really, he just cannot speak highly enough about this amazing performance. I've read other articles uh, about Dick's performance, Dick Trehune, in the one-man show of A Christmas Carol by Dickens, and uh, wanted to give a tip of the hat to uh, not only the Lincoln Community Theater, but also Dick Trehune. They uh, worked together at uh, WSNG Radio in Torrington, Connecticut. He's a great guy, a lot of fun, and uh, does a, apparently a brilliant job. Dick, if, if you ever record that performance, please send me a copy, if you would. I would love to see it. And as far as I know, I have no plans on getting to, uh, getting to Nebraska anytime soon. Besides, by the time I got there, you'd be through with your run. So, all right. <laughs> it's time, speaking of Charles Dickens and A Christmas Carol, 
to continue on with our story. From 1843 is when this was first published. In fact, this is a copy. Here we go. This is a copy of the inside plate of the uh, original book from, what did I say, 1843. Wow, a very long time ago. All right, we were on uh, chapter 3, which is the second spirit. And they had just finished Scrooge and the spirit watching Christmas Eve at Tiny Tim's house. Well, by this time, it was getting dark and snowing pretty heavily. And as Scrooge and the spirit went along the streets, the brightness of the roaring fires in kitchens, parlors, and all sorts of rooms was wonderful. Here, the flickering of the blaze showed preparations for a cozy dinner. With hot plates baking through and through before the fire and deep red curtains ready to be drawn to shut out the cold and the darkness. There all the children of the house were running out into the snow to meet their married sisters, brothers, cousins, uncles, aunts, and to be the first to greet them. Here again were shadows on the window blinds of guests assembling. And there a group of handsome girls, all hooded and fur-booted and all chattering at once, tripped lightly off to some near neighbor's house, where woe upon the single man who saw them enter. Artful witches, well, they knew it in a glow. But if you had judged from the number of people on their way to friendly gatherings, you might have thought that no one was at home to give them welcome when they got there. Instead of every house expecting company and piling up its fires half chimney high. Blessings on it, how the ghost exulted. How it bared its breath of breast and opens its capacious palm and floated on, outpouring with a generous hand. Its bright and harmless mirth on everything within its reach. The very lamplighter who ran on before, dotting the dusky street with specks of light, and who was dressed to spend the evening somewhere, laughed out loud as the spirit passed, though little kenned the lamplighter that he had any company but Christmas. And now, without a word of warning from the ghost, they stood upon a bleak and desert moor, where monstrous masses of rude stone were laid about, as though it were the burial place of giants, and water spread itself wheresoever it listed, or would have done so but for the frost that held it prisoner. And nothing grew but moss and firs and coarse, rank grass. Down in the west, the setting sun had left a streak of fiery red, which glared upon the desolation for an instant, like a sullen eye, and frowning lower, lower, lower yet, was lost in the thick gloom of darkest night. What is this place? asked Scrooge. A place where miners live who labored in the bowels of the earth, returned the spirit. 
but they know me. See? A light shone from the window of a hut, and swiftly they advanced towards it. Passing through the wall of mud and stone, they found a cheerful company assembled round a glowing fire. An old, old man and woman with their children and their children's children, and another generation beyond that, all decked out gaily in their holiday attire. The old man, in a voice that seldom rose above the howling of the wind upon the barren waste, was singing them a Christmas song. It had been a very old song when he was a boy, and from time to time they all joined in the chorus. So surely as they raised their voices, the old man got quite blithe and loud, and so surely as they stopped, his vigor sank again. The spirit did not tarry here, but bade Scrooge hold his robe, and passing on above the moor, sped whither? Not to see, to see. To Scrooge's horror, looking back, he saw the last of the land, a frightful range of rocks behind them and his ears were deafened by the thundering of water as it rolled and roared and raged among the dreadful caverns it had worn and fiercely tried to undermine the earth. Built upon a dismal reef of sunken rocks, some league or so from the shore, on which the waters chafed and dashed the wild year through, there stood a solitary lighthouse. Great heaps of seaweed clung to its base, and storm birds born of the wind, one might suppose, as seaweed of the water, rose and fell about it like the waves they skimmed. But even here, two men who watched the light had made a fire that through the loophole in the thick stone wall shed out a ray of brightness on the awful sea. Joining their horny hands over the rough table at which they sat, they wished each other Merry Christmas. In their can of grog, one of them, the elder too, with his face all damaged and scarred with hard weather, as the figurehead of an old ship might be, struck up a sturdy song that was like a gale in itself. Again the ghost sped on. Above the black and heaving sea, on, on, until being far away, as he told Scrooge from any shore, they lighted upon a ship. They stood beside the helmsman at the wheel, the lookout at the bow, the officers who had the watch, ghostly figures in their several stations, but every man among them hummed a Christmas tune, or had a Christmas thought or spoke below his breath to his companion of some bygone Christmas day, with homeward hopes belonging to it, and every man on board, waking or sleeping, good or bad, had a kinder word from for one another on that day and than on any day of the year, and had shared to some extent in its festivities, and had remembered those he cared for at a distance, and had known that they delighted to remember him. 
It was a great surprise to Scrooge, while listening to the moaning of the wind and thinking what a solemn thing it was to move on through the lonely darkness over by unknown abyss, whose depths were secrets as profound as death. It was a great surprise to Scrooge, thus engaged, to hear a hearty laugh. It was a much greater surprise to Scrooge to recognize it as his own nephew's, and to find himself in a bright, dry, gleaming room, with the spirit standing, smiling by his side, and looking at that same nephew with approving affability. Ha ha, laughed Scrooge's nephew. Ha ha ha. If you should happen, by any unlikely chance, to know a man more blessed to laugh than Scrooge's nephew, all I can say is, I should like to know him too. Introduce him to me, and I'll cultivate his acquaintance. It is a fair, even-handed, noble adjustment of things that, while there is infection in disease and sorrow, there is nothing in the world so irresistibly contagious as laughter and good humor. When Scrooge's nephew laughed in this way, holding his sides, rolling his head, and twisting his face into the most extravagant contortions, Scrooge's niece, by marriage, laughed as heartily as he, and their assembled friends, being not a bit behindhand, roared out lustily. Ha! <laughs> he said that Christmas was a humbug, as I live, cried Scrooge's nephew. And he believed it, too. Ha! More shame for him, Fred, said Scrooge's niece indignantly. Bless those women, they never do anything by halves. They're always in earnest. She was very pretty exceedingly pretty, with a dimpled, surprised-looking capital face, a ripe little mouth that seemed made to be kissed, as no doubt it was, all kinds of good little dots about her chin that melted into one another when she laughed, and the sunniest pair of eyes you ever saw in any little creature's head. Although she was what you would have called provoking, you know, but satisfactory, too. Oh, perfectly satisfactory. He's a comical old fellow, said Scrooge's nephew. That's the truth. Not so pleasant as he might be. However, his offenses carry their own punishment, and I have nothing to say against him. I'm sure he's very rich, Fred, hinted Scrooge's niece. At least, you always tell me so. <laughs> what of that, my dear? said Scrooge's nephew. His wealth is of no use to him. He don't do any good with it. He don't make himself comfortable with it. He hasn't the satisfaction of thinking. <laughs> that he's ever going to benefit us with it. I have no patience with him, observed Scrooge's niece. Scrooge's niece's sisters and all the other ladies expressed the same opinion. Oh, I have, said Scrooge's nephew. I am sorry for him. I could be angry with him if I tried. Who, who suffers by his ill whims? Himself, always. 
Here, he takes it to his head to dislike us, and he won't come and dine with us. What's the consequence? He won't lose much of a dinner. Indeed, I think he loses a very good dinner, interrupted Scrooge's niece. Everyone else said the same, and they must be allowed to have been competent judges, because they had just had dinner, and with the dessert upon the table were clustered round the fire by lamplight. Well, I'm very glad to hear it, said Scrooge's nephew, because I haven't any great faith in these young housekeepers. What say you, Topper? Topper had clearly got his eye upon one of Scrooge's niece's sisters, for he answered that a bachelor was a wretched outcast who had no right to express an opinion on the subject. Whereat Scrooge's niece's sister, the plump one with the lack tucker, not the one with the roses, blushed. Do go on, Fred, said Scrooge's niece, clapping her hands. He never finishes what he begins to say. He's, he's such a ridiculous fellow. Scrooge's nephew reveled in another laugh, and as it was impossible to keep the infection off, though the plump sister tried hard to do with aromatic vinegar, his example was unanimously followed. I was only going to say, said Scrooge's nephew, that the consequence of his taking a dislike to us and not making merry with us is, as I think, that he loses some pleasant moments, which could do him no harm. I am sure he loses pleasanter companions than he can find in his own thoughts, either in his moldy old office or his dusty chambers. I mean to give him the same chance every year, whether he likes it or not, for I pity him. He may rail at Christmas till he dies, but he can't help thinking better of it. I defy him. If he finds me going there in good temper year after year, I saying, Uncle Scrooge, how are you? If it only puts him in the vein to leave his poor clerk fifty pounds, that's something. And I think I shook him yesterday. It was their turn to laugh now at the notion of shaking Scrooge. But being thoroughly good-natured and not much caring what they laughed at, so that they laughed at any rate. He encouraged them in their merriment and passed the bottle joyously. After tea and some music... They were a musical family and knew what they were about while they sung a glee or catch, I can assure you. Especially Topper, who could growl away in the bass like a good one and never swell the large veins of his forehead or get red in the face over it. Scrooge's niece played well upon the harp and played, among other tunes, a simple little air, a mere nothing you might learn to whistle it in two minutes which had been familiar to the child who fetched Scrooge from the boarding school, as he had reminded by the ghost of Christmas past. When this strain of music sounded, all the things that ghost had shown him came upon his mind. He softened more and more and thought that if he could have listened to it often, years ago, he might have cultivated the kindness of life for his own happiness with his own hands without resorting to the sexton's spade that buried Jacob Marley. But they didn't devote the whole evening to music. 
After a while they played at forfeits, for it's good to be children sometime, and never be better than at Christmas, when its mighty founder was a child himself. Stop! There was a first game at Blind Men's Bluff. Of course there was, and I no more believe Topper was really blind than I believe he had eyes in his boots. My opinion is that it was a done thing between him and Scrooge's nephew, and that the ghost of Christmas present knew it. The way he went after that plump sister in the lace tucker was an outrage on the credulity of human nature. Knocking down the fire irons, rumbling over the chairs, bumping up against the piano, smothering himself against the curtains, wherever she went, there he went. He always knew where the plump sister was. He wouldn't catch anybody else. If you'd fallen up against him, as some of them did, on purpose, he would have made a feint of endeavoring to seize you, which would have been an affront to your understanding, and would have instantly sidled off in the direction of the plump sister. She often cried out that it wasn't fair, and it really wasn't, but when at last he caught her, when in spite of all her silken rustlings and her rapid flutterings past him, she got her, he got her in a corner, at last he caught her, and there was no escape. Then his conduct was the most execrable. For he, pretending not to know her, his pretending that it was necessary to touch her headdress, and further to assure himself of her identity by pressing a certain ring upon her finger and a certain chain about her neck. The vile, monstrous. No doubt she told him her opinion of it when another blind man being in office, they were so very confident together behind the curtains. Scrooge's niece was not one of the blind men's bluff party, but was made comfortable with a large chair and a footstool in the snug corner where the ghost and Scrooge were close behind her. She joined in the forfeits and loved her and loved her love to admiration with all the letters of the alphabet. Likewise, all the game of how, when, and where, she was very great, and to the secret joy of Scrooge's nephew, beat her sisters hollow, though they were sharp girls too as Topper could have told you. There might have been twenty people there, young and old, but they all played, and so did Scrooge, for wholly forgetting in the interest he had in what was going on, that his voice made no sound in their ears. He sometimes came out with his guess quite loudly, and very often guessed right, too, for the sharpest needle, best white chapel, warranted not to cut in the eye, was not sharper than Scrooge, blunt as he took it in his head to be. The ghost was greatly pleased to find him in this mood and looked upon him with such favor that he begged like a boy to be allowed to stay until the guest departed. But this, the spirit said, could not be done. There is a new game, said Scrooge. One half-hour spirit, only one. It was a game called Yes and No, when Scrooge's nephew had to think of something, and the rest must find out what. But he only answered their questions yes or no, as the case was. 
The brisk fire of questioning to which he was exposed elicited from him that he was thinking of an animal, a live animal, rather a disagreeable animal, a savage animal, an animal that growled and grunted sometimes, and talked sometimes, and lived in London, and walked about the streets, and wasn't made a show of, and wasn't led by anybody, and didn't live in a menagerie, and was never killed in a market, and was not a horse, or an ass, or a cow, or a bull, or a tiger, or a dog, or a pig, or a cat, or a bear, at every fresh question that was put to him. This nephew burst into a fresh roar of laughter and was so inexpressibly tickled that he was obliged to get up off the sofa and stamp. At last, the plump sister, falling into a similar state, cried out, I've found it! I know what it is, Fred! I know what it is! What is it? cried Fred. It's your Uncle Scrooge, which it certainly was. Admiration was the universal sentiment, though some objected that the reply to, is it a bear, ought to have been yes, inasmuch as an answer in the negative was sufficient to have diverted their thoughts from Mr. Scrooge. Supposedly, they had any tendency that way. He has given us plenty of merriment, I'm sure, said Fred, and it would be ungrateful me not to drink to his health. Here's a glass of mulled wine ready at our hand at the moment, and I say, Uncle Scrooge. Well, Uncle Scrooge, they cried. A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to the old man, whatever he is, said Scrooge's nephew. He wouldn't take it from me. But may he have it nevertheless, Uncle Scrooge. Uncle Scrooge had imperceptibly become so gay and light of heart that he would have pledged the unconscious company in return and thanked him in an audible speech if the ghost had given him time. But the whole scene passed off in the breath of the last words spoken by his nephew, and he and the spirit were again upon their travels. And that's where we will leave it for tonight. We'll continue with this ghost of Christmas present in our next stream coming up on Wednesday night. <laughs> this is a great book from 1843, Charles Dickens' original a Christmas Carol. All right. Thanks, guys. If you'd like to help support the show, go to patreon.com slash jsheldon or over to locals.com. You'll find us over there also. And uh, appreciate the uh, podcast downloads. Thank you so much for subscribing and liking. I will see you again, as we said, on Wednesday night, 10 o'clock here in Malaysia, wherever that means for you across the planet. Until then, I'm Jay Sheldon. And I'm not wearing pants. Good night. <laughs>